0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Spotlight Podcast from londontheatre.co.uk. I'm Will Longman and in each episode I'll be taking you backstage to shine a light on the stars of the West End stage and beyond. We'll be getting up close and personal with the actors, creatives and supporters of London Theatre, finding out what inspires them to perform, why they love what they do, and hear a few stagey stories along the way. So without further ado, allow me to introduce our first guest. Charles Torreira is a British actor who we know for his starring roles in musicals such as Avenue Q, Rent and The Book of Mormon, as well as appearing in plays such as Trevor Nunn's production of The Tempest or The Nationals' Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Last year he won the Olivier Award for Best Actor in a Musical after his mesmerising performance as Aaron Burr in the West End production of Lin-Manuel Miranda's masterpiece, Hamilton. We met the morning after this year's Olivier Awards, as he rehearsed for his latest project, Ian Rickson's new production of Ibsen's Rosmus Home, which you can catch right now at the Duke of York's Theatre. How was last night for you? We were recording the day after the Olivier Awards. Oh yeah, uh, were you was, there? Yes, I was sat quite sat right behind you and you were, oh. uh, my first note is you had an incredible suit on. You looked brilliant. Oh, <laughs> Let's you. talk about that.
1: Yeah, there was, there was a lot of... Um... <laughs> well, the thing was, that last, I was there last year and... Um, it was, uh, there was a lot going on because we were performing and the opening of the show. And then I was fortunate enough to be nominated for stuff, So, which was then at the end of the evening. So it was really... and we were, you know, you come into the building from like nine o'clock in the morning or something. You've got a sound check, you do rehearsals and all of that, getting makeup, wigs, uh, microphones, and, everything, and get in and out of it and then do the carpet. And so it was a crazy day. So I was very kind of, I just went in my my um, sort of traditional black tux. <laughs> this year, I was like, actually, I haven't really got any of the stress of performing or doing any of the nominations or any of that. So I'm just gonna kind of enjoy myself. So I went and got a nice um, green suit. and uh, It wasn't just green, it was Green it Tartan. It was Green Tartan, it was, was, was Vivienne Westwood Green Tartan. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it was fun, I had a good time.
0: And, and underplaying it as well, you weren't, you weren't just nominated, you, you won the award for best actor in a musical
1: last year yeah yeah so coming
0: yeah. back last night and mm. obviously cobner won for yeah. for tina and you had a little embrace when he went up it was like a yeah. little uh passing of the baton yeah. moment almost
1: yeah, yeah 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 because um yeah he's my brother and it's like you know i'm just very 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 happy that he and i knew how much it meant to him mm. and uh well as you saw when he sort of got up he was totally overwhelmed by right. Um so yeah, no, it was great. It was it was nice to be able to just go and support and uh, and see everyone and hang out. And, yeah. and
0: then it was fascinating watching a lot of the the winners last night. The um, Patty and Coppola. you know, it's very easy to get emotionally overwhelmed by winning that award. Mm. Then I went back and watched your speech, and you were so together, and you had it. Do you plan that, or was that just off the
1: cuff? Because uh, no, I knew I was like, okay, who do I need to remember to think, or not forget to think? So I sort of knew who I wanted to, think, to thank. Um, and that was it, because you sort of don't wanna, it's almost like there's two, there's two like movies playing in your head at the same time. The one where your name isn't called and the one where your name is called. And they're kind of going concurrently, which is why it sort of feels like such an outer body experience. <laughs> you you And you don't really want to commit to either. You sort of just have to just try and be present with the whole thing. So, it, uh, you know, I sort of thought, just don't forget to thank these people. And mm-hmm. um, and then also the thing of being played off. <laughs> you know, how, it's like the band starts if you go over, like they come out at the beginning and they say, don't go over like 45 seconds or something. And if you do, like in the Oscars, the, the band are going to start playing you off. So I was aware as soon as um, Cheetah Rivera called my name, of like, OK, don't just don't start waffling. And, <laughs> and make sure you thank everyone and get everyone in. And actually, I still forgot to thank a couple of people. Um, but uh, it was, to, I think that, yeah, it was just such an, a sort of weird out-of-body experience that I just sort of found myself walking up on the stage and then receiving this really lovely thing from someone who is a real icon mm-hmm. and someone who's a, been a real inspiration to me, Chita Rivera. So just to meet her in that moment and then get this thing, it was just, uh, it to me it felt very overwhelming, but Where? I guess it... Maybe it didn't come across that way, but where
0: do you keep it? Where, do you have a, a space in the house for yeah, it? Yeah, it's
1: on. There's a perfect little spot just above the um, mantelpiece, above the um, fire, fireplace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, private place in the, in the front room. Yeah. <laughs> and did it feel a bit
0: like coming full circle? I'm, I've read interviews with you where you were saying like you were on Broadway during the interval of Hamilton, and then you went to the audition. Yeah. Did it feel like it was that kind of full circle moment from
1: from the beginning? Yeah, it did. When I listened to it the first time before the audition, when my agent said, okay, you're going to go to New York, you're not going to be in London when they're auditioning, because I was going to be on an international tour with the Globe. So therefore, you have to meet them in New York when you're, when you're in New York with the Globe, and which was way before they, rehearsed, they were auditioning in uh, London. So as soon as I listened to it, I thought, okay, I had a real strong connection to the character of Aaron Burr, And there was something that just resonated and felt right. Um, By the time I got to the second song, which is Aaron Bursa, I was like, okay, I have to... This is something that I am really compelled to try and be in the presence of, (laughs) let's say. And then there was just something that sort of made me think, if you commit to this, meeting the Americans take this audition, if you commit and take one step down that road, you have to commit to it 1,000%. Um, as difficult as that will be, uh, as challenging that, as that will be, as many um, moments are there probably will be where you just want to jump out the window and <laughs> you can't get it right. If you commit to it, it's you have to commit to it. And there was just something that said if you do that, then it will be worth it. It, uh, you know in the end uh, at some point further down the road so in a one way that was quite good because it meant i thought okay the, the sort of further down the road element of it I can park mm-hmm. and just focus on the work the work the work the work the work trying to do the thing trying to trying to examine it as much as possible trying to to present a character or find a character who um who i believe is complicated and and, uh, rich person, a contradictory character. Just sort of that element of the work is what I really focused on. So then when you cut to something like the Olivier Awards, it was a really nice moment of kind of being able to just come up for air and go, oh, actually... Wow! Look where we are now. Look yeah. how far we've come. Whereas before that, it was just i of head down and just go, go, go. People, people think that it's sort of. Um, I had friends that thought, well, well, you know, you, you guys are in Hamilton, and it's, um, you know, it must be just sort of cham- champagne every day, <laughs> champagne <laughs> every day, and meeting famous people and all of that." But actually, no. From rehearsals, you know, before you've even got to the start of rehearsals, mm-hmm. all of the company, all the ensemble, all the dancers had been through the boot camp. Um, where they learn Yorktown and all the big numbers, Selfless Satisfied and rumour it Happens and stuff, they've learned that just to get through the audition. So the work element of being in Hamilton, as it is with most shows, is, just means that you just, that's all you can focus on. And and um, so therefore it was really nice when we got to be at the Olivier Awards and all of the company, all of our company, even the offstage swings, offstage members of our company, we were all put in that opening number. Um, which meant that for the first and only time, the entire company of Hamilton was on stage. Wow. Hamilton UK. They did the same thing in New York for the Tony Awards, yeah. which I thought was a really beautiful thing. So when we stand up at the front of the stage for the sort of timeline in, the, in the, towards the end of the opening number, it was our entire company. So it was really lovely to have that. Mm. Excuse me, it was really cool to um, uh, be able to just... Be at the Royal Albert Hall and see the other companies and hang out with people. We we're in the same dressing room as like Jamie and Forty Second Street. I yeah. want to say, so it was just nice to have a moment where, even though it was pretty full on that day, you could just hang out and kind of go well done and here we are. And um, so it was. Yeah, it was were nice. There, were there any
0: shows performing last night that you thought oh, I'd love to to be up there <laughs> in that particular show?
1: Maybe. Um, what were the shows? The shows were Tina. Six, I love. Yeah. Six, love got, six. A, it got a huge reaction, Six, yeah. Six yeah. was, I think it came just after, like, the intermission, the mm-hmm. little interval we had. And then kind of, yeah, they, they, they kind of rocked it. Um, and what else was there? Company, Company, I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what other shows were there? Six, it. Company, Tina. A
0: couple of solos. So Sharon performed in Carolina Change. Carolina Change, yeah.
1: which is amazing. I saw, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he stormed it. It was incredible, incredible. <laughs> I was so happy when she when she was um, recognised. So, talk, going back to your, your
0: Hamilton rehearsal period, you said that there were you could envisage there being jumping out of the window moments.
1: Did you have many of them? <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> every day, every day, um, because it's uh, it's a monster of a piece, and it's a real monster mountain of a park. Um, just the journey, the sort of emotional and psychological journey that Burr goes on, um, and Hamilton goes on. So it was, it was, it was, there was. There's just so much. And if you think about Lin Manuel's writing, um, because it's hip hop and it's rap, there is three times as many words in a song as there are for a Rodgers and Hammerstein song. Mm-hmm. So there's just the density of material, the density of the. Um, let alone what the character goes through the journey the character has to go through so the technical aspects of it plus you're working on a revolve yeah, <laughs> two revolves really um, so what would happen was we would get um, we would be rehearsing one of the big numbers and staging one of the big numbers so everyone there's <laughs> 30 people on stage and there um, our brilliant uh, uh, associate choreographer Stephanie Clemens who, who has the entire show of Hamilton in her head where every single person goes. When they go, what line they move on, where they where they stop, where who they pass, everything. She's got the entire thing in her head. <clears throat> um, and there's sort of slight variations from production to production. So she's got all of those things in her head. Um, so she would be sort of teaching everyone uh, what they're supposed to be doing. And then, if you've seen the show, Burr kind of usually introduces a song or mm-hmm. a moment and then maybe stands to the side and watches a lot of watching and observing and then relaying, communicating to the audience. So everyone else would kind of get their stuff taught to them. These incredible choreography and moves and lifts and jumps and turns, and then also moving the furniture around at the same time. And uh, and then we'd be just about to go, and I'd be like, okay, so where do I, where do I go? And you uh, the our comes and stands on zero. We have the whole stage is yeah. marked out with Zero in center stage, and it goes out, two, four, six, eight, right, sixteen. Um, so then we would start, and the first thing that would happen is I would bump into someone who was lifting <laughs> a table, <laughs> because all, all I had to do was to go from, you know where I was on eight, let's say, across diagonally down to two on the other side of the stage. But I hadn't had the uh, opportunity to do it with. Other bodies yeah. and other people. Yeah. So I spent I spent a lot of weeks bumping into things <laughs> and bumping into people and falling over. And so it was it was, and that's the technical aspects of it, which you just have to get in your bones and in mm-hmm. your body. You just have to get it. Um, and then there's, let alone the character and the man and um, his relationship to other people.
0: Well, that's the thing as well, because where there's there's no margin for error in that show you know you can't put a foot wrong no. but even so you managed to put your own spin and your own command on that role extraordinarily how important mm. was it for you to do that and how difficult was it given the kind of cast in america the broadway cast that had, yeah. had all that hype and you know, put
1: their stamp on it yeah. how important was it for you to mark your authority on on that part only in as much as it's important i think to do that for anything mm-hmm. so um and i don't i think like if you take hamlet for instance. I remember I did a I did a production of Hamlet actually with um, Rory Kinnear and I remember saying to him God you must be and it was at the National Theatre I remember saying saying to him Wow you must be uh, you know, must be terrifying to have to come and play Hamlet here you are at the National and he was like well he had a really beautiful perspective on it which was that you know hundreds thousands of people have played it before him and thousands of people will play it after him and he's just he can just respond to it in the moment, in his time. And I was, I thought that was very, on one sense it kind of sounds quite obvious, but accepting that and embracing that is really kind of freeing. So I I just thought about that when I um, came to Hamilton, the fact that uh, I hadn't seen, no, I had seen it before the audition. I saw it in New York, Um, but it was such a a sort of blur of Mm -hmm. what it was. And I had my audition the the day after that, that I kind of don't really remember it apart from the general, Uh, atmosphere and the general effect that it had, which was extraordinary storytelling, told as if it was just perfectly formed. Um, Lyrics, lights, costumes, performances, singing, all of it. Um, But for me, it's just a case of, well, this is what I feel about this part. You respond to it. and, um, uh, And in a way, I think, as we've seen with all of the actors who play Burr here, is that you come to it with your thoughts and your feelings, and it will it cannot help but be you mm-hmm. an individual and unique and different um even if one tries to um, copy someone else, for instance, the fact that you are two different people means that it is not going to be the same so to me it was it, that um, it was a given it wasn 't necessarily something where I thought i 'm going to do x y z differently or or no I just went into it as I would normally do um. And in a way, our director Tommy Kale, who was who was one of the best directors I've ever worked with, um, he said, "You know, here we are. You guys have been chosen because you are um, of the unique things, ingredients that you can bring to these roles. Go with it. Have, mm-hmm. You know, have permission to to respond to it um, in any way that you feel is appropriate." So for me, it was um, uh, I didn't necessarily. Um, have a fixed plan of what I was going to do differently or no not at all I just tried to be in the room and be in the presence of it and and also then respond to uh, My fellow actors and the mm-hmm. other characters because it's you know It's you you, you don't put you, the story doesn't exist in a, in a vacuum. It was it you have to respond to Alexander Hamilton who's played by um, Jan Westman who for me i would say probably the answer to your question is probably lies mostly with jam because because of who he presented um the alexander hamilton that he um gave uh made my job very i wouldn't say it made it easy but there was a, such a clear uh f- for a start young man when he arrives in 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 town hamilton um and his progression through then being a soldier, um, being an ambitious soldier, being a family, being a husband, being a father, and being a statesman, that progression was so clear in what Jam did in his work that to respond to that was, um, uh, it, it, it was a real joy. of It told me a lot about who I
0: was. That's maybe something I've not considered about that show before, because he comes on and he does seem like he's a very young boy in that first song, yeah. and then but then you still are fully with him when he's a father talking to his daughter. Like you, mm. you fully understand that he is a father, mm. and that's pretty incredible about his performance. Have you been back to see the show since you've not been in it? Uh, I saw it
1: in. I left in December, and I saw it in. Um, I saw it like just before January, but it was too. I was quite emotional about it, and it was a bit too soon, I think. So I mm-hmm. have not seen it since then. But I'm going to go back, hopefully this week. I'm supposed to be. My niece and nephew said um, they want to go and see it without me in it. So, so, <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll well, take, I'll take, I'll take them. What is it like for you seeing
0: it, not being in it? Um, now that you know all those intricacies
1: and all those marks that they have do to. Do you know hit. what? Here's the thing, uh, I. Saw it, and I knew exactly what happens when, and I can even watch it knowing what's happening in the wings. I can see what's happening in the wings either side of the (laughs) the stage, because I know what what the, the journey of the thing is, of the evening is. But even so, the storytelling is so brilliant in that piece, in terms of the staging, the directing, the choreography, the lighting, the way that the story is told in terms of moving images is so brilliant that you, that I found that even though I'd been in it for a year and even though I knew um, 100% what was happening with each character as, as they were going, I was still, it still felt as if I was seeing it for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Partly also because Burr's in it. So it all tends to happen around Burr. He's um, usually sort of down, usually, stuff is happening behind me. So there was stuff that I hadn't seen since rehearsals because you're sort of just in it. Um, uh, so when you see it from the front, it's great. But th- I just love the fact that I could sit there and it was as if I'd never seen it because my attention is being led over here and then it's being led over there. And even if I was trying to watch out for certain moments, I think, oh no, that's gone because because I've been drawn to w- what the storytellers, the director of the Crowfer, want me to be drawn to. Mm. Um, so, so to me, that's a, just a testament to, yeah, the storytelling of those. Um, Geniuses.
0: Hello, me again. I hope you're enjoying my chat with Giles. In the second half of the episode, we do talk in a little more detail about his current play, Rosmersholm. It's running at the Duke of York's Theatre, and you can buy tickets right now at londontheatre.co.uk forward slash show forward slash Rosmersholm. Now, to kick off the second half of the podcast, we'll be putting our guests under a little more pressure. Getting to know them with ten quick-fire questions, they have to answer them as quick as they can. Let's see how Giles gets on. So, on your marks? Yeah. What was your first ever role?
1: My first ever role was Alexander in Troilus and Cressida at the National Theatre. What's your hidden talent? My hidden talent is I can cook really good fried chicken. What's your interval tipple? My interval interval tipple is apple juice. What's the best show you've ever seen? Oh my gosh, the best show I've ever
0: seen. Hamilton. <laughs> Who is your theatre idol? Peter Brook. What's your favourite city in the world?
1: Mm, New York. What's the last song you listened to? Uh, 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 um the last song I listened to was uh, uh, Going up yonder, Shaka Paris, uh, 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 Shaka Khan. <laughs> What's the next show you're going to see? The next show I'm going to see is Hamilton on Wednesday.
0: <laughs> the best theatre you've ever performed in? The Olivier. And the one role you want to play that you never have? Hamlet. Yeah, one minute and four. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, given, given that... Two, terrifying. Given that two of your answers were Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's really that's really bad. <laughs> no, it's a good score, it's a good score, I think. I mean, we'll see okay, as yeah. the weeks come. Yeah. Um, okay. So you'd like to give your Hamlet? That's something you'd like to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I, I remember as a school, I think for lots of actors it's like, there's a point where you go, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. Of course, I think most people do that. Um, so that's sort of the longest part that I've, I've, I've had for the longest time. Where I thought, oh yeah, I'd really like to do that. And then also, you know, with Shakespeare, it's a thing of... It shifts as you get older your your understanding of your perception of Shakespeare moves and and grows with you, so you're continually thinking about it and seeing it in different light um so and it so therefore it continues to fascinate so yeah I'd like I mean there's I don't really have that many roles I think I really really want to play that. Mm-hmm. I just like um especially if it's something I don't know, like this play we're doing, Rosman somewhere a, a good director will say. Or a director whose judgment you value says, "You should play. It. You should. You have something to bring to this." Um, so I, yeah, I try like to work like that.
0: So we are in your rehearsal room for Rosmersholm. Uh, we were just talking before we started recording that you didn't really know the play before you
1: were cast in it. Is that because Ibsen wasn't really on your radar? Maybe um, to a certain extent. But it, it's funny because you, one realizes that you sort of have a filter of plays. As an actor <laughs> As whether it's something that you may or may not Do in in some form In your life um, So with Ibsen I remember seeing the last Ibsen play I saw Was The Master Builder um, And uh, so I haven't seen That many of his plays um, So And it wasn't a play that I was familiar with at all But when I read it I thought it's one of the best plays I've ever read, mm-hmm. um, and this adaptation of it by Duncan is amazing because it it conti- it contains all of the. Um, he sort of has, has has managed to get it so that it is very not spare but uh, very energized and front footed and forward moving and. Um, he has this brilliant device of sort of having quite a few interruptions. So people often will speak uh, before the person before has finished so that there's a kind of real energy to it, mm-hmm. a forward moving energy to it, whilst at the same time, retaining all of the, these beautiful images that Ibsen has. Um, uh, so yeah, I was really bowled over by the, the adaptation. Um, and that was to me the big draw, I was like, yeah, this is this is a play that I would love to do because it fascinates me. Partly because um of what I've just described, but also the subject matter and how um it seems like it could have been written today. Um yeah. And is that because of Duncan's adaptation? Uh partly. I think he's really brought that out. He, he mm. and Ian have really brought that out. Um all the stuff is obviously there in the in the original edition, but they have really brought it out. Um and as we know, like we, we we as creatures, we move in cycles, and therefore there's always going to be um, uh, within the great plays what the great plays kind of discuss and really try and um, uh, examine are always going to be relevant um, to any given uh, time period, uh, and I feel that very much with this play, so it'd be really cool, I mean there's an election within the play which is very very important and um, you know, there may well be an election (laughs) in the time that we are doing this uh, production Um, so it feels very timely. What role do you play in in the play? I play Andreas Kroll who is, the play is about a man called Rosma, John Rosma, so Rosma meaning, uh, Rosma's home meaning the house of Russman, house. Um and I play Andreas Kroll who's his brother-in-law he married my sister who a year before the play begins commits suicide um, achieves suicide actually as we uh, as I like to be termed now uh, so I play his brother and I've not seen him his brother-in-law I've not seen him for uh, since her death a year ago uh, and I come back into his world um, and find that he is having a kind of crisis of not just faith, but ideology as well and politics. He's re-examining his um, whole ideological worldview, which is absolutely contrary to um, the man that I knew, grow up knewing uh so so, which is shocking to me um and so uh, primarily our interaction is is about trying to bring him back to his senses um uh, and away from the kind of uh, contagion of radicalism that's kind of sweeping throughout the country, sweeping through society um and to try and really make him to sort of re uh, realign him with his duty and his responsibility as head of this um, very um, well respected uh, dynasty and household
0: and So we're in, you're in rehearsals at the moment and yeah. we've spoken a little bit about your rehearsals for Hamilton How yeah. do rehearsals differ for a major musical like that? to a play with a slightly smaller cast here is there a lot more kind of devising happening are you working through things a little bit more with the writer and director
1: yeah because also the other thing is that if you have a show like Hamilton it exists and um, uh, it is being remounted essentially so uh, as you go into rehearsals on day one you know exactly what's going to happen or someone knows exactly what's going to happen the director the choreographer the resident know exactly what's going to happen so it's a case of um, teaching you what already exists whereas in a play like this we are rediscovering it um, and, f- and finding out how we would like to tell this story physically and, and um, uh, verbally, linguistically. <clears throat> so uh, there's a lot of playing. We, we play around a lot. We spent a lot of time examining the text, um, reminding the text. Uh, the, it, it, so much of the play is about what took place in the past, what has taken place. So we spent a lot of time really trying to build a picture of what the past has been and how the characters interact in order to now start the play and be able to really interact with each other um, with uh, a real clear understanding of um, the past that we are moving from. Uh, So we play a lot and we improvise a lot and Ian has a really good way of like, um, if if we come to a moment for instance where someone describes an event in the past, we might sort of just stop and then, just do a little improvisation about what that might have been, just to try and color that and sort of people that so that it is a concrete thing for all of us um, so we yeah we have a lot of uh, it's a very free, not free, but it is is a very open rehearsal room, which I think is um, I think we all really appreciate and then it's a case of um, sort of honing and honing and honing and and becoming more and more and more specific with it about the choices and the um Sort of objectives and the actions, what we're trying to do to other people. So uh, yeah, it's it's a and it's a really good group of actors that we have. It's only a small company um, for such a massive play, mm-hmm. but it's uh, uh, yeah, it's we're having a, we're having
0: a good time. Do you ever see yourself on the other side, maybe directing a play like this yeah. and trying to find messages?
1: Yeah, like that. Can you see yourself doing that? Yeah, I, I've directed a few things and um, i have been trying to look for the right thing. I'm just I might be doing something at I'm talking about doing something at Mountview because um, mm-hmm. also I'm really very keen on working with like young actors, um, young artists, uh, and I'm on the board at Mountview. So I'm, we're talking about I might direct something there next year. Okay, okay third year. Um but again, it just depends what what it what it might be. So we're looking for something. Do you have any preferences, any ideas, or is uh, that all, all no. to be discussed? <laughs> it's to be discussed. It's to be discussed. Whenever I'm in a Shakespeare play, I always because they tend to be quite long periods, if it's like at the National the Royal Shakespeare Company or something, or on tour of the globe. By the time I've finished with a play, I'm like, oh, actually, I know, I would really like a crack at kind of telling that story Mm -hmm. and staging that. Um, So Shakespeare might be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: you you studied at Mount View, that was... Yeah, I did. What was, when you were growing up, what was the moment when you were like, right, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to go to theatre school, what was it that drove you to do that?
1: I didn't know that I wanted to be an actor until I was, well, I didn't know that I was an actor. I think that's probably the better way of looking at it. I didn't know I was an actor until I was about 16. Um, I'd always been in the school plays and um, I was always like doing impressions of people and trying to make people laugh. Class <laughs> clown and all of that. So I was always playing and, and making up stories and um, having all sorts of, I have three sisters and you know, I would sort of make up little stories and scenarios and situations and, and act them. But I didn't know that you there was such thing as becoming an actor professionally at all. I didn't know about London Theatre. We went. Uh, my mother took us to um, cinema when we could, when she could afford it and when she wasn't working. But we didn't go to the theatre at all, apart from pantomime. We'd go to mm-hmm. pantomime every year. So I didn't really realise it was something you could do until I was about 16. And a friend of mine said... Uh, come and do this BTEC course, which is like a two year performing arts course at the local college and I went to that. And at the end of the first year, um, that was when I realized, oh, okay, this is something that you could, I started to learn more about it and this is something you could. I could do as a career. And at that point then people were just thinking about then going to drama school and auditioning for that. So I was like, okay, there's this thing as drama school, okay, and then you train, okay, for three years, okay, right. So by the time that happened, I knew I had a sort of frame of reference mm-hmm. about um, how the thing worked and the kind of um, the progression from student, acting, work, professional. So once that sort of penny dropped, um, when I was about 16 or 17, um, I realised it was what I wanted to do. And then I was really, really focused and committed to it. Um, so it was a sort of slightly gradual thing, but then... Uh, when I came to London and went to Mountview, I was like a sponge because I felt like um, I was catching up mm-hmm. with people. It seemed like everyone else had been to Stratford upon Avon lots, and you know they'd seen Shakespeare and they knew they'd been to the Dramatic Society and they knew who all these great writers were. Um, and I didn't really know any of it, so I was just starting completely fresh. But in a way, I think that was quite good because it meant that I was just a sponge for everything. Um, and in a way, I feel like that now. Uh, I, that has never really left. That's never really left me. Um, Do you think yeah. that's where maybe your drive to work with younger artists comes from? Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Um, because I had a brilliant teacher at Mountview called Claudette Williams, and she was like a voice teacher. And then she went to Central after that. She's at Central now, and she sat me down and said, "Right, okay." In the second year, she was like, "Right, when you get to the national, and when you get to the." Royal Shakespeare Theatre in Stratford you're going to have to be able to talk so let's uh, let's sit down And so I would go to her I would hang out with her either at the school or sometimes go into to her house and then she would show me all these plays and um, especially Shakespeare she loved Shakespeare because Shakespeare is such a brilliant way of, sort of opening up people let alone actors um, and getting people used to communicating through speech in a way which is Active and is trying to um, elicit some kind of response or change from you. So she, you know, she would show me old movies of Shakespeare, and we'd read stuff, and she would get me to do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, and she really encouraged me. And I always, I'll never forget that she said. Uh, even when she said it, I was aware that she didn't say if you get to the national, but she said when you get there, and that really not in a big sort of dramatic way, but I was just heard that and I was just aware of that word when you get there. And I thought, oh, this is someone who believes in me and who mm-hmm. thinks that I'm, um, you know, p- perhaps see, can see something in me that I ne- can't necessarily see myself. Um, and I always really valued that um, belief from her. Uh, and if it wasn't for her, then I don't know whether I'd be an actor now. So for me, that's really important to be able to... Um, have that kind of dialogue with other actors, other people, and to encourage them. Um, because theatre is, it's hard to be, um, as is movies, as are movies, it's sort of hard, to, you know, you have to be really brave. You've got to be really, really brave to sort of just be, even like getting back to Hamilton, for instance, just some people would say, well, wow, after the show, they say, God, you must be knackered. You know, you you're in like, you know, I think I'm not in two songs mm-hmm. of the 50 or whatever. Okay. Um, people <laughs> were jumping up and down off the tables and stuff, and people say, "Wow, you must be really knackered. And I think actually, to a certain extent, you're tired. But the real tough thing with a part like that is to just be present with it and to not um, sort of bullshit it, or to or to or to be able to observe when you are sort of cutting corners and stuff. The real thing is to just try and be present. And I think that's with any play, even if you're, you know, if you're directing, whatever, to try and be present with the material. If it's Ibsen, um, if it's a great writer, Ibsen, Shakespeare, Lin-Manuel, you can see that the writer, the storyteller, has made that decision to be as ruthlessly, relentlessly honest as possible with those characters Mm -hmm. and, and their motivations and what they do. So with great writing, you're aware that, that work has already been done, so you have to sort of try and match that level. Um, uh, so I think with Hamilton, that was really that was really the case of kind of going every night. Walk out. There's no overture. There's no music starts. The man just walks out from the wings, stands on number eight, and, uh, <laughs> and then then the music starts. Yeah. And to me, that was a really I was always try and be present for that and just have moments before the thing started, just listening to the audience and that sort of excitement and that buzz and just try and just think, okay, be present with this story now, not thinking about, you know, getting to wait for it or Dear Theodosia mm-hmm. or Rumour Happens, just this moment here and now. And that, I think, is a really difficult thing. And therefore, I always try and sort of... In- and I think that that is... um that is also relevant and applies to lots of other things in life, do you know what I mean? Is, is it something
0: that you had to learn to, through experience, or is it maybe something in other musicals or shows you were
1: doing you found you weren't present in that moment? I'll tell you exactly, that's a really, really good question. And I just remembered that I, did a, I met um, the director, Peter Brook, in Ireland, in Dublin, Dublin. And um, I was doing a play there, and he was doing a play, and one of his plays was in the festival. And so I got a call from my agent saying, oh, um, Peter Brook would like to meet you on Thursday whenever. whenever, tomorrow. And uh, so I was like, okay, wow, terrifying. So I went and met him and uh, he, we spoke for quite a long time. And he didn't ask me about the piece I was doing or where I was from or what. I couldn't quite work out during this meeting what we were, uh, how I was there. But somehow they'd they'd find out. Anyway, so we, and then the next, we didn't talk about the play, he was doing nothing. We just spoke as we're speaking now. And then the next day he said, okay, come back and then we'll do some work. So we came back the next day to the theater that they were performing at. And um, he had a bit of text and he said, we're just gonna work on this bit of text. And it was uh, the story of a young boy in Africa who leaves his village and goes down the river uh, to this big, the big local town uh, and there's a moment where as he's sailing down the river on this little canoe, little boat, he looks over the side into the water and there's a fish there and he describes how this sort of fish comes up and then he sort of goes off. It's part of his journey and when I got to that point I remember Peter sort of saying stop uh, and just taking a moment to say when you um, get to that part where you see that it's just See it. Just think about what it's, what it looks like, what it feels like, how it's, what the the coloration is. If you can say specifically what that is through the water, just see it, observe it, really see it. Um, and we spent quite a lot long time on that. And I remember thinking at that point, oh, this is really cool because before I'd been I'd been thinking. Um, What does he want to do? What's the play going to be? Can I get the part Wow, working with Peter Brook? And in that moment, all of that fell away. And the task in hand was to simply be present with that image, those words, that one sentence of describing seeing this fish. And so he said, you know, when you see that fish, really see the fish. And so that's kind of my mantra really Mm -hmm. of, of just be present with whatever it is you're doing. Forget about what's happening in a minute's time in 10, you know, tomorrow. Be present, and that's a really tough thing to do. Um, but for me, I kind of think that, again, that applies to lots of other things in life. Because if you're we're, we're, someone like me, who's very kind of... I can think myself into circles and in and out of circles <laughs> in and out of situations and stuff, but to just be present with yeah. something is very important. So for me, I, I, I would always try and encourage um, other young actors, young artists, to try and... Um, be in a similar place with whatever it is that you're experiencing. Um, Plus also, you know, it's hard for young actors. It's hard to train. It's hard to get money to go to university. It's hard to do all of that, let alone becoming um, going out into the big bad world and and, uh, trying to make it as an actor. So for me, it's like I was encouraged and therefore I think it's it's, um, incumbent on me to encourage others because that's the way that not only the, the industry will work, but that's how society works, I think.
0: So I was going to ask you what kind of advice would you give to a young actor but I think you've, you've basically just given it so if we bring it back to the play you're rehearsing at the moment Rosmersholm, Home what's the fish in that rehearsal room what are you having to kind of focus on is there a particular thing that you can kind of see yourself being present and focusing
1: on There's a, there's a huge thing which is uh, the my sister in the play Beth who really is the um, seventh character because everyone talks about her um, obviously, she was Rosma's wife, she's my sister. Um, Rebecca, who Hayley Atwell plays, um, was kind of brought to Rosma's home as Beth, my sister, Rosma's wife, um, as a kind of um, sort of paid companion, carer, type, mm-hmm. um, to spend time with her in order to try and um, counter some of her uh, um, uh, emotional and mental problems that, that Beth was having. <clears throat> and so, therefore, she has a very strong relationship. So, so the presence of Beth is is huge within this um, environment, and her illness and her death is something which is massive throughout the entire play and hasn't been properly dealt with and addressed. So, um, you could I, I would say her because of also what she represents. She represents um, the past. She represents family. She represents parents in a way. Um, and so, yeah, you, you one has to have a really clear, um, rich understanding of, of who that person is and what they represent in order to really be present with the um, the people in the play, to achieve what um, what what the character is um, uh, is uh, is trying to
0: achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Saying she's the seventh character, something you all have to be on the kind of on the same page with that. When it's something that you don't see, do you all have to be in that same kind of Ye- vision?
1: Yes, to a certain extent. But then also, um, we all as individuals have different things going through our mind mm-hmm. about events in the past or other people. So we see things differently. Um, your parents would have a v- probably give a very different description. If they were to ask to describe you, as I would, yeah. having known you for sort a two minutes, so um, certain things have to be concrete, certain facts and, and um, chronology have to, we sort of have to kind of agree on. But um, characters see different sides of different people. Um, if it's your wife, if it's your sister, if it's um, someone you've only known for a year or so, and and who you are caring for, this is a very kind of different thing. So it's kind of interesting that. Uh, Um, We each have our own version of Beth.
0: I wonder who would have more positive things to say about me, you, or my parents. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you very much for speaking to me, Giles. Um, Oh no, cool. Thank you. Rosam's home is at the Duke of York's from the twenty fourth of April. Yeah. Perfect. See you there. Thank you for joining us for the first podcast and making it all the way to the end. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. For tickets to Rosemary's Home, be sure to visit londontheatre.co.uk to find out more. The music in this episode is Loopster by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0.